Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 720. And today, we're going to be talking about a scary topic. And that scary topic is the war on Amazon. Now, let me explain, right? We all know that Amazon is an amazing platform, okay? They allow us to sell our products on their platform. They allow us to get traffic. And they really allow us to do business in a very easy way, right? Like we, they take a lot of the, you know, the heavy lifting off of our plates. But that has become harder and harder as far as with competition, with false claims, with copyright infringement, with trademark infringement, with them just randomly shutting down your account. I literally just had a conversation with someone that's in my inner circle that has been battling Amazon, not even the, the competition, but battling Amazon for them to reinstate his listing after it was taken over by a hijacker, and then from there, he had no control over that listing. So that's what we're talking about. Now, how can we win this war on Amazon? Well, I've invited on a guest that is going to break this down into Four simple steps, really these pillars, so you can have the best chance of winning and really protecting your business. Now, his name is Robert Wright. I've actually uh, had the pleasure of meeting him, uh, not in person as of yet. We will be at Brand Accelerator Live, but I met him. He did a, a summit uh, online where I was one of the uh, guest speakers, and uh, and we talked about brand building and all of that stuff. But what he does is he has a, uh, a law firm that specializes in helping Amazon slash e-commerce businesses and brands really protect their assets that they're building and how to set it up properly, but then how to do all of these things in the beginning so this way here we can protect ourselves and we don't have to go through the hassle of doing it later. But the good news is we can still do it even if we haven't done it yet. So this episode is going to be me talking to Robert about some horror stories, but also how to set it up right from the beginning, but then also if you're up and running, what to do now. And we go through trademark and copyright and just some simple things that can do a really good thing for your business or protect your business when you just think, well, I'm okay. I've never had any complaints yet. Or, oh, I'm fine. My my listing's protected because I own it. No, you don't, okay? And that's the scary truth but you know you need to be aware of that. So I'm excited for you to listen to this. He does break it down very, very simply to understand, and he's going to give you these, these checklists and these steps that you should follow. Now, you don't have to do them all. Just consider them, all right? Now, I'm also excited today, the time of this airing, we are 14 days until Brand Accelerator Live, and you know we do all this work to build these brands. We need to protect that brand. Well, I'm also excited to say that uh, Robert will be attending, and he's one of our sponsors, which I'm really excited excited about but I also want you to know like we had a lot of people ask to be sponsors and we turned a lot of them away and we only selected a handful because one of the other things that we always want to make sure is that the people that we're bringing to an event like this a live event like Brand Accelerator Live we want them to genuinely be able to help the people that are there and not just help by you paying for a service but also be there in person 
to help. And I know Robert personally, he is looking forward to having these conversations with all of these brand builders that are going to be at Brand Accelerator Live. So again, if you're attending, you got that to look forward to, and I encourage you to go up to all of the sponsors slash partners because they are there to help. That was part of the deal when we had these sponsors sign up to to be there and supporting this event. So really excited about that. And again, just a little reminder here, we are 14 days away, so I have no idea if there's tickets available because while I'm recording this in advance, but the time that this airs, There's a good chance there won't be, but we are going to be closing ticket sales if there are any tickets available on September 6th. So if you are listening to this and it's coming out a few days before that date, you can always go there and see if there's any last minute tickets. If there are, you might want to grab one. And if you're in Texas, well, then you can just, uh, you can meet us there. Uh, And then if you are interested in grabbing a virtual ticket, again, you'd want to go there as well. And that's baltickets.com. Again, that's baltickets.com. And we will have a virtual pass available after the event. So uh, you might want to go there, whether you're listening to this, you know, before or after. And the last thing before we jump into this interview, which I think you're going to love and you're going to learn so much, the show notes. The show notes can be found at theamazingseller.com forward slash 720. I'll include all the links there. And also, When you get done listening to this, if you want to reach out to Robert and ask any questions, you can always head over to privatelabelprotection.com and get more information there about what he does and how he helps sellers like you and me. So I'm going to stop talking now so we can go ahead and listen in on this conversation that I have with my good friend, Robert Wright. Enjoy. Well, hey, Robert, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. Appreciate the uh, time today. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be fun. And uh, you and I were just talking uh, a little bit about family and stuff. And your uh, yeah. your kids are, are in the, the the school start of the year. Uh, Absolutely. Things are a little crazy because at first you're like, yeah, things are crazy. And I'm like, oh, business wise, no, uh, life wise. Oh no, personal. <laughs> personal. But, but you know, that's the, that's kind of the uh, the balance that we all have as entrepreneurs, right? Like, there's the business stuff that's going crazy. There's the personal stuff that's going crazy. And the fun of it all is kind of making sure that you're in balance. So right now, certainly back to school focus is big, but business is always moving as well. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. So I've uh, invited you on just because I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the legal stuff that's happening out there in the e-commerce, the private label world. Um, And I know that that is your expertise. Uh, You you own a firm, Wright Law Firm. You're also Mm -hmm. one of the sponsors at Brand Accelerator Live, which I'm excited to have you guys there um, and answering any questions there for people. Um, The one thing I do want to say here for anyone listening as well is yes, Robert has a law firm, but this is not legal advice right now. This is us discussing, you know, stuff about, you know, the Amazon space and legal stuff, but it's not necessarily paid advice. So if you do need advice, either reach out to Robert or reach out to someone that is qualified. So just want to throw that out there, Robert. Is that a good idea to throw that out there? I I think that's great, Scott. I was actually going to hang an ESQ after your name because that's uh, (laughs) that's the good legal disclaimer up front. That's awesome. That's perfect. All right. So good. We got that out of the way. So you and I are just going to have a conversation talking about some of these war stories, uh, you know, and and how we can really protect ourselves the best way possible. And you and I were talking a little bit before we got on here, and there's really four pillars that that we're going to be driving. Driving, uh, into and really uh, discussing. And I really like it how you laid everything out. But before we do that, give us a little background on Robert. How did you even arrive at where you are today? 
Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a crazy story. You know, I, when people ask me that, like, how in the world did you end up doing private label law? <laughs> it, you kind of start, you shake your head a little bit and like, how did I end up doing private label law? Yeah. You know, cause oh, what, no, you know, as a kid, you wake up, you want to be a fireman or, a, <laughs> right. or, you know, whatever a private label lawyer, not even on the radar, but um, you know, it's interesting when I, I, I kind of, I'm going to say quote unquote, blame my mom for getting me an interest in the law. Uh, and, and I say that, you know, half jokingly, but like as a kid growing up, like there was always like a, like a, a legal show in the background. It was, you know, Perry Mason or Matlock or Law and Order. There's just something kind of always in the background. And I think that just seeped in, mm. in terms of getting me interested in law. Um, you know, so as I, as I went off to college and, and you start to figure out, well, what am I going to do with my life? That was, that was certainly uh, of interest. And so started taking a couple of, uh, you know, basic law classes, constitutional law and the, and the like enjoyed it, thought it was fun, thought it was neat. I happened to be in college kind of at the heyday of Napster, you know, when all of that oh, you yeah. know, was becoming what it is now, right? Yeah, and yeah. file sharing and, and all that good stuff. And uh, I admittedly uh, shared a lot of music with friends, right? Like if you were on a college right. campus with a big fat T1 line, you could download and upload just, you know, unlike anybody's business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and thought it was great. I thought that was, you know, that's, oh, that's yeah, awesome. Technology is amazing. Well, we know that uh, that all got shut down, and you know, as as that happened, I'm kind of headed into law school. I'm like, that doesn't that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right, right? Like day one of kindergarten, they teach you that you're supposed to share with your friends. Everybody's just sharing music. Like, what's wrong with that? And so I, I started to delve into that. Started to understand that's what, what in the legal context we're talking about intellectual property law, mm -hmm. specifically copyrights, and it just got really fascinated in how all that you know all of that stuff works. And pretty soon you understand well if you do copyright law, you get to work with artists and authors and musicians. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, work with trademarks. You get to to work with brand owners. You get to you know, if you're doing patent stuff, you know, you've got cool, you know, startup companies, young companies that are commercializing a technology. And I just thought, you know what, I'm all in on all of that. Like that just sounds super cool. Um, you get to work with neat people. You get to practice an area of law that is constantly changing. It's always evolving with technology. How do you not want to sign up for that? Mm. So, and as I launched my, my practice, it was, it's a virtual practice. I mean, I don't have a physical brick and mortar. My practice is where my laptop goes because you know, very much want to leverage technology where I can to, to you know, benefit clients um, and, and kind of opened with an eye towards just helping all entrepreneurs, all startups, all young companies. And that, that was great. A couple of years ago, though, all of a sudden, the tide started to shift a little bit. Things started to change. And instead of people coming into my doors saying, hey, can you register this copyright? Hey, can you get me a trademark? It was you know, can you get me brand registered? Mm. Can you get me brand gated? Someone, someone stole the buy box. I've been hijacked. Can you help me? And I'm like, what, what in the world is this? Like, I don't, I don't know any, they didn't teach you this in law school, right? right. Buy boxes, like there's not a class on buy boxes. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, 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 that started, that actually started me on my own private label journey. I said, mm. listen, this is a need. And if folks, you know, have to understand the needs of, of these clients. I've got to, I've got to stand in their shoes. Right. So I launched my own private label brand. Um, you know, I'm, I sell in the States, I sell over in Europe and I did so for two reasons. One, it's a great business model. I mean, it's, it's a really cool business to be able to, you know, search a, you know, create a brand, source a product, get it to market, sell it, wash, rinse, repeat. I and mean, there's a lot of steps and a lot of complexity along the way, but I mean, that's, that's amazing all from your laptop. Right. But then also, 
you know, to support the law practice. Like I understand what it means when that buy box goes away. I understand how that hurts. Right. So, um, it's, it's, it's been a win-win for sure. And and really I just kind of doubled down here in the last year year and a half, two years and said, listen, I, I mean, I still do, you know, I still support, you know, just kind of general e-commerce businesses, but love private label sellers. I love tailoring my practice to their needs. Um, and, and just, you know, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's my story. That's how a uh, right private label law, uh, it was launched and created. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's incredible. And I, I love hearing stories anyway, because it just shows that what you started with doesn't mean where you're going to end up. It's just, oh no, you're, you're yeah. kind of always I, on the radar, you know, you're always on the radar and you're constantly evolving. And I think that's true, whether it's, it's just generally in business, I think you always need to be, you know, changing and growing and scaling and moving, uh, in new directions. And, and certainly with private label, you know, the Amazon space in particular is, is really, really different than it was a year ago and really, really, really different than it was a couple of years ago. So you've mm-hmm. got to be able to adapt uh, regardless of what business you're in. Yeah, no. And I think getting this stuff kind of uh, outlined and detailed from someone that's starting or someone that's already up and running or someone that's looking to sell. Like I just literally got off an interview yesterday with Joe Valley, mm-hmm. which you probably know from Quiet Lake Brokerage. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with making sure that you set things up right from the beginning. And I do believe that this stuff here is also another important step in that mix to make sure that, uh, you know, that you're able to, like you, you kind of call it like bulletproofing your brand in a sense, um, because that's important to a seller uh, or to some or a buyer that's uh, possibly going to be investing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because as I, as we were talking before we, we, we started recording, you know, about this notion of of, you know, purpose, like, you know, you always have to evaluate, you know, what are you doing and why are you doing things with your, with your practice, your business. And, yeah. and I, I had mentioned that it's really important to me that I educate folks, right. I provide, you know, kind of general, not, not legal guidance, but like, here's, here's the rules of the road. Like, as you go down this private label journey, if you do these things from the get go, you're going to be in a really good spot, regardless of if you're looking to exit in a year or mm-hmm. two years or five years, or if you just want to create a legacy for your your family. Mm-hmm. Like, here's how you build a really solid foundation, yeah. you know. And and there's just, I, I think what's really missing in the space is there's there's so many great, uh, you know, courses and and blog entries and YouTube videos and programs out there around the specifics of private label selling and how you research a product and, and that sort of thing. But I think people just put blinders on and they focus on getting to market and they forget the business realities of, you know what, maybe I need to form a business entity or yeah. Yeah. a trademark. I should probably make sure like no one's taken that yet. Mm. Or I got these products photos taken. Like, do I own those? Like feels like I own it, but I don't know if I really do. Uh, and then the scary stuff, you know, getting a cease and desist letter from somebody, um, you know, another seller, getting a fake review, getting a complaint from Amazon. Like, you know, just what do I do when all of that stuff bubbles up? Because it will. That's mm-hmm. just, that's business. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. No, it, it is. And, uh, you know, yes, we want to be able to kind of move rapidly, but there are some things, some key things, mm-hmm. I believe, to really, and I, you know, I, 
I kind of teach the the methodology of we call it pace, which is basically preparation and foundation. Then you have attention, then you have cultivation, and then you have expansion. And yeah. the very beginning pillar there of the preparation is really making sure that you have a solid foundation. And part of that is doing some of these basic things up front that you think that oh, I'll just wait till later to do those. Uh, and I think it's really important to to make sure that you do that stuff first. Now, I don't want that to paralyze people and say, exactly. oh, we don't do anything. But there are resources and and uh, people like you that are helping people, which I love about what you said, uh, you know, before we even recorded, but even on air is, you know, you're looking to help people. And if they, you know, if they come to you for, you know, to hire you or whatever, that's great. But that's awesome. But you're going to help people whether they do or not, because you just want to help people. That's in your nature. That's what you're, you're wanting to do. But there's always this, you know, like, well, there's always something, there's a, you know, there's a, a reason why. Well, the reason is, is because I know that if I help more people, it's going to feel great. Right. And that's going to yeah. be awesome. But then also, yes, business will come. It will. Cause people deal it, with people that they know, like, and trust. exactly a hundred percent. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, could see an alternative motive of, Oh, you know, he's just going to, he's just going to only show so much. The fact of the matter is like, if, and this is just generally for the legal profession these days, like you don't have to engage an attorney if you don't want to, I right. mean, legal zoom, everyone knows legal zoom, there's trademark. Yeah. There's a number of, of sites on the internet. You can go, put a lot of information in, click some buttons and you know what, you'll get exactly what you ordered, right? right. Like LegalZoom will set you up an LLC and, and you can do that. And that's great. Like LegalZoom is, is, is a great thing. Um, but you know, there's also a number of people who they don't, they don't want to trust a system, right? They want someone to kind of hold their hand. They mm. want someone to talk with and, and kind of, you know, well, well just, you know, a little more personalized sort of offering. And, and that's where, you know, formal legal counsel comes in. So, um, you know, I actually like technology. I told you, I don't have a brick and mortar. I go where my laptop goes. Yeah, I love it. I think a lot of, I really like a lot of the disruption that's happened in the legal industry around, you know, sites where, where people, are, are more empowered to form a business or to protect a trademark or do, you know, what, you know, have a will drafted or whatever. Mm. Um, that's great, you know, because, you know, access to, to services like that are wonderful. Education is power. Um, it'll never, in my mind, you know, replace actually sitting down with someone and looking at the personal facts and circumstances of your own situation and getting guidance around that. So. No, it's huge. It's huge. Okay. So let's talk about these four pillars here. And let's, yes, let's, try to help, let's try to help some people um, that are listening to this. And, um, and I know that you're like, you're in it, right? Like you are, you know, you're in, you know, at the stage that we're at right now. And, you know, in 2019, the time that this airs, we'll probably have to do something in the future because things will change. Yep. But as of right now, those four pillars that you've kind of came up with, um, let's kind of walk through those so we can Absolutely. help people to Absolutely. where they're starting, where they're going, all of that stuff. Let's do it. So, well, before we get to the four pillars, I kind of want to smack people in the head a little bit. Okay. And I, I want to do it with this notion that business is war. You know, mm -hmm. so many people start an Amazon business and it's just, it's safe, it's convenient, it's, it's from, it's behind a laptop. I want to, I want to kind of shake people a little bit and say, listen, this, this is business and business is competitive. And as soon as you get a product to market, you're going to be under attack in some form or fashion, right? You're going to have, competitors who notice that you're taking market share and they're going to look at you and they're going to try to get you. Okay. You have suppliers who are going to say, wow, that product's selling really well on Amazon. I'm going to copy that product photo. I'm going to put it on my microsite and I'm going to tell people I can sell the exact same thing. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You're going to have, maybe you've got some, some distribution relationships, right? Maybe you've entered into a map agreement to say, hey, you can sell on Amazon, but don't go underneath this price. Well, maybe they, had a, they honor that agreement. Maybe they don't. Maybe Amazon, looking through all the data in their algorithm, says, hey, this product sounds really, sells really great. Let's make one that looks pretty much like it. We'll offer it via Amazon Basics and the market changes, right? I just, I just want to... And I, and I hate scaring people. It's like my least favorite thing about the law. But it's reality. People, but it's reality. Yeah. Like I just want to shake you a little bit and say, okay, yes, private label selling, amazing business model, but it is no different than any other business model. And if you open up a store down the street and all of a sudden you start taking you know, uh, customers away from other stores, they're going to react to that. So of the course. same thing in a private label model, right? So as I, with that reality in mind, I've kind of, there's four steps I think that any private label seller can do and should be doing. Okay. Step number one, protecting your personal assets. You know, there, there's, there's this laxed nature to private label selling. You can sign up for an Amazon account. You just need a personal credit card. You can use it to, to source products, get it, you know, get it, get it live in the marketplace. If you are not forming some sort of, you know, formal business entity, and by that, I mean, either a limited liability company or a corporation, all of your personal assets are at risk. All of your personal assets are exposed. You are the business and the business is you. Mm-hmm. You don't want that. You want to create a wall between your personal assets and the assets of the business. The way you do that, you form a limited liability company or you incorporate. So mm-hmm. step number one, if you had to check any box kind of on your private label journey in terms of the legal stuff, it's protecting your personal assets through a formal business entity. Okay. Okay. Let me, before you move on with that, cause I just want to, I want to ask you something on that Yeah. is, uh, okay. So LLC, you know, it, it forms a, a separate company or a company in itself and it's not you, um, you being the owner though, are you still at all? And again, I'm just, uh, kind of riffing here just to kind of try to pick yeah, your brain sure. a little bit myself. Cause I'm curious cause I've heard mixed you know, mixed, uh, you know, responses to this, but like if I, if I form, if I form something, I have everything separate. I have a separate checking account. I, I don't, I don't roll anything into there. It's just all the business. Um, and there was a claim that came up that some, and again, we don't even go into, we didn't even go into uh, like liability insurance or any of that stuff, but like if someone, if something happened and someone went after the business, is it really only going to go after like the personal assets or the, the revenue that's being generated or the profit that's being, you know, uh, you know, into the business? Like, is it going, or is there loopholes? And I'm sure there are, but is that the, is that the only thing that we can do to kind of create that wall or actually make that wall a little bit? A little bit. Oh, it's, no, it's it's a, it's a great question. So that's a really good one. And and so you know, as we were kind of talking about legalism, and I'm I'm certainly not. I'm just using legalism because sure. it's the most popular one. Sure. One of the one of the one of the one of the myths or, or misconceptions out there, I think, is that okay, I formed this this entity and I'm good, right? Mm. There's a lot more to forming an entity than just filing some some paperwork with the Secretary of State, right? right? But but there's also this sense of okay, well, I formed the LLC. That's what I was supposed to do. I'm done. Mm. You're really not done. So what you're talking about, I'll kind of, I'll kind of, you know, pull the the curtain away and, and, and give you a peek into like day one class one of law school. Okay. The first lesson of law school is sue everybody for everything. I mean, that's <laughs> literally, no, I, I'm serious. <laughs> I remember walking into my, into my class. No, it's terrible, but it's, it's, it's lesson number one. I am sitting down there. I'm like, oh. okay, I'm going to learn some law. Right. <laughs> and the, uh, the uh, professor gets up and, you know, 
rule number one, sue everybody for everything. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I signed up for here. Like, wow. what are we doing? But yeah. it's true. Yeah. And I say that to illustrate like any plaintiff's attorney work their soul. Like, you know, if, if they're going to sue everybody for everything and then figure it out in the wash, mm -hmm. right? So when you organize a limited liability company, everything I, I just said is true, right? Like you, you've created a wall between your personal assets and the assets of the business. That wall, though, only exists when you're treating that business as a business, mm -hmm. right? So simply having some paperwork on file with the Secretary of State, to me, that's a good start. It's not good enough. Mm -hmm. you know, to me, got to have a registered agent. You got to have a, 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 a place where if service of process goes, you know, goes to the registered agent, the agent, you know, registered agent turns around, gives it to you. You have an official, you know, registered agent address just for legal notices, tax notices, secretary of state notices. You've got that. Secondly, you support that with a formal business address. Could be a virtual mailbox, could be a PO box, but it's something that's not your personal residence, mm -hmm. right? You also have an operating agreement, even if it's just you in the business, even you're, if you're what's called a single member LLC, you should still have an operating agreement between you, the person, and you, the business, mm -hmm. right? Typically, an operating agreement is going to set out the rules of the road for how that company is going to run. Mm -hmm. It's going to talk about what the purpose of the company is, how much money has been injected into, into it at formation. It's going to talk about you know, what happens if someone wants to leave the business, how do you add people to the business, how decisions are made, who handles the finances. I mean, it's, it's basically the playbook for the business. Mm -hmm. And as a single member in a company, you're like, well, why do I need that? If I want to add somebody, I can just add somebody to the company. If mm -hmm. I want to quit, I can just quit. And you still want that corporate formality, right? You still want that because, you know, as I think about, you know, that mindset of sue everybody for everything and knowing that if it's ever called into question, you know, whether or not that wall exists between the business and you, I would want a client to basically have a mountain of evidence to say, you shouldn't be suing me personally. You should just be suing the business. Mm -hmm. And here's why right, I have right. paperwork on file with the secretary of state. I had a registered agent. All my business dealings went to a business mailbox that I set up. I had a separate checking account just for business, business expenses. I have an operating agreement as I made important decisions about my business. I would create a memo to the file and just, you know, put it away. All of my intellectual property was in the name of the business and not me as an individual. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's that old, it's, it's a little silly, but it, but I think it illustrates the point. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it's a duck, if it looks like a business and it operates as a business, it's going to be a business. That, that maxim is true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're doing those sorts of things and you're, you're doing what real businesses do, that wall of protection, which is why you form the business in the first place, is going to exist when you need it. Yeah. So the next question then on that before we move on is if someone's already up and running and they hadn't done this up front and mm -hmm. their business is six months old, what can they do? to create that wall to kind of, to kind of fix that. Yeah. So what I would, yeah. So, I mean, you can organize a business at any time, right? So, you know, whether you're starting from ground zero or you're six months in or you're a year in, it's nothing that stops you from organizing a company at that, at that point in time, at that point of organization, there's some additional paperwork that you can do to kind of take the assets that you've created and transfer those into the business uh, and then everything going forward, start operating through the business. So gotcha. you know, time isn't an issue. Like okay, whenever cool. you, if you've goofed that up a little bit, quote unquote, 
you can fix it. Okay. That's the cool thing about the wall. Like generally speaking, everything's fixable, especially the types of things that we talk about. Sometimes the path of getting there is a little bit longer than you'd like. Sure. Sometimes the fix isn't as convenient as you'd like, but it exists. Like it. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. That was great. Okay. Moving on. What do we got to talk about next? What's the next? We've got step? To, We've got to bulletproof your brand. So if okay. we protected your personal assets, now we got to bulletproof your brand, right? And as a private label seller, your brand is everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to tell you a horror story because it illustrates the point. So, so often we as private label sellers, you know, we, we, we either get paralyzed by coming up with a brand or we just jump out of bed one day and we're like, that's my brand name. I'm going to run off, start putting it on products and go to market with it. I will tell you that is absolutely the most dangerous thing that you can do in terms of private label selling. I was, I was speaking with, with someone here recently and they had a situation where a very successful Amazon seller had been selling for about seven years with this particular product. Everything had been going fine. And all of a sudden, they had a hijacker, right? So they had someone had taken the buy box. Sales were starting to drop. And they finally were like, yeah, you know, now I need to register that trademark because I would need to get brand registered. That's going to help me with this problem. So let's go off and register a trademark. So we were talking in the context of getting a trademark registered. Well, and as I went off and just did a quick, it was, it was a, it was a made up name. It seemed to be an arbitrary, fanciful sort of term okay. Went off to run a quick clearance search. And sure enough, like that trademark had already been taken by somebody else on the same exact product that this seller was, was already in market on. Wow. So they're in a situation, you know, you know, several years into a listing, lots of reviews, good sales embedded in the algorithm and now they can't get brand registered because they're not going to be able to get a trademark registration through the process, mm-hmm. or at least not easily or not without negotiating a license or something to that effect. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they basically, they, they were presented again. It's that notion of, you know, there's always a fix, right? You may not like it, but there's a fix. One of their, one of their solutions was basically rebranding and starting from scratch. Wow. Right. And, and I just, I mean, it is heart wrenching to me. Mm. And as I'm, as I'm working with this, this client, and I keep thinking, I'm like, is there anything else that we can do? Like, how could have this, this have been pre- prevented? And really it comes to day one when you, you know, you make that, that decision to this is going to be my private label. Number one, you've got to make sure that the name that you've chosen functions as a trademark. And then secondly, is it registrable? Is it available? Right. And so, so many sellers, they just, they skip that step because they're so anxious to get to market. And, and from my own experience, like coming up with a brand name can be paralyzing. Yeah. Um, I typically, what I'll do is I'll put clients who don't have a brand name. I'll put them on a clock. I'm like 15 minutes, come up with a list of names. We'll circle back. I'll run them. You're going to choose one of those and we're going to go. Cause you, you know, there's, there's too many other things like move with purpose here. Like brand name's important, but let's, let's get one on the books and mm-hmm. get one moving. Cause mm-hmm. it's, you know, people do get paralyzed. But we've got it, and to, bu- and to bulletproof our brand, we got to make sure that the, the brand name functions as a trademark, and is it is it is it registrable? Has someone else already taken a mark that is the same or confusingly similar? If so, we've got to go back to the drawing board. Okay, so bulletproofing the brand, and once once we clear those hurdles, then obviously it's registering your trademark. We always want to register our trademarks in the countries where we sell and where we care about those sales. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you are selling internationally and you care about those sales, you really should be thinking into, you know, filing a, a trademark in the UK or Germany or France or Spain or Italy, you know, depending upon your markets and what that looks like, 
Um, you know, having just one trademark registered in the States, if you're an international seller, that is not long-term, that's not going to be good enough. And as you think about, you know, Scott, you were kind of talking about, you know, exiting earlier and, you know, what are people going to be looking for? Yeah. When you go to exit, you know, if, if I'm a buyer of an Amazon business, I want to poke as many holes in that business as possible, right? Absolutely. Because that drives down the price. Right. If you are an international business and you don't have international trademarks, that's something that should be shored up very quickly. Okay. Okay. That's that's good. That's actually the first I've heard that. Um, to be honest with you, I, I always you know thought of like well, trademark in U.S. and then if you're going in the other marketplaces, you have a trademark, but it's U.S. So that does make sense. Um, yeah. And and what is the time frame on something like that for internationally? And also, I guess we should probably ask that too, because I know people are going to be wondering that. Like, generally for a trademark, what are you seeing? The and I know you, there's not a, a set time, but what is yeah. what is the average that you're seeing? What do you like to see um, a trademark come back in, in as far as like once you decide to file it? Oh, this is this is uh, generally people get pretty shocked when I say this. So like in the st- every every country is very different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the States, if everything goes well, I'll generally quote clients about nine months from the date of filing. Mm-hmm. So the way the process works, basically from the date of filing, your application sits in a queue for about six months, mm-hmm. right? Waiting to be examined. Yeah. About the six month mark, an examining attorney from the office will pick up the application and they'll evaluate it. They'll want to make sure that, you know, kind of like what I just said, is it, does this mark function as a trademark? Is it protectable? And then is it registrable? Are there other, any reasons in the application which make me think, you know, maybe I can't register this. Maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's scandalous or disparaging. You can't register well, until a recent Supreme Court r- uh, ruling. You can't register scandalous or disparaging marks. Uh, is it a surname which can't function as a trademark? Is there do I, the specimen, the example of the product that was submitted with the application? Maybe, maybe it doesn't show the mark in the way that it should. Right, that examining attorney is really going to, you know, put it through the ringer to make sure that that it's a good, legitimate mark and it deserves registration. Right, so examining attorneys do good work. They make sure that you know the the, the trademark repository doesn't get clogged up with marks that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Right, so about okay. six months in, that examining attorney is looking at that application and making sure that it's good. If all is good. They'll put it in another queue. The examining attorney will put it in another queue. It'll sit there for about 30 days. And then the application will be published for about 30 days. Okay. Okay. During that publication period, anybody in the world who has reason to think this mark shouldn't register, they will be, they'll be able to oppose it. Right. If there's an opposition, all of a sudden your application's moved out of the trademark office, it goes to the trademark trial and appeal board, and there's a whole separate proceeding that you don't want to get involved in. Right. So we can head all of that off if we know from the from the get-go, is this mark registrable? Mm-hmm. And you know, is it protectable? Does it function as a trademark? And is it registrable? Are there any other marks out there that might give us you know, some concern during that publication period, because we want to be aware of that as we, as we go into that. Mm-hmm. If we survive that, if we made it all the way through the prosecution gauntlet, about three to four weeks later, you're getting a registration number from the office and you'll need that to get brand registry, which for private label sellers, let's be honest, that's why we're registering trademarks. We want to enjoy the benefits of brand registry. Mm. Um, so about nine months here in the States, UK, much simpler, uh, more straightforward process, about three to four months, uh, okay. soup to nuts to get a, to get a registration through. There's also, you know, as you think about international trademarks, there's internet, there are international treaties between countries called the Madrid Protocol. Um, you can, if you have a mark that's already registered, 
and you're looking to register a mark in another country uh, that is a member of that Madrid protocol, there is a bit of a streamlined process to be able to kind of leverage the existing mark and expand it into other countries. So, you know, kind of like you were talking earlier about, um, you know, the education piece and, you know, there's no hook, like truly like something like that, as you think about growing and scaling internationally, you, you do need some custom guidance because there's a lot of times it might make sense to file individually mm-hmm. in countries. Mm-hmm. There are other times it might make sense to leverage Madrid, kind of depending upon what your your end game is. So okay. lots of strategy there for sure. Okay. So again, anyone listening, like that's why it is like important to figure out that name and get it filed as soon as possible because it, it is going to take upwards of nine months. I, I was always thinking to myself, and I've went through a few trademarks myself, um, anywhere from uh, you know like eight months to a year. Yeah, no, I I think that's, I think that's a fair estimate, you know, and and I said, best case scenario, like in that examination process about the six month mark, if, Mm. if that examining attorney finds a concern, what happens is the mark is basically rejected and you're given a six month time span to respond. Mm -hmm. Now that rejection could be really simple. It could be, you know, Hey, you've used Baker as part of the mark. And we don't think that, you know, anyone can own Baker because, you know, it describes a, a, an aspect of the product. Sure. You want to disclaim it. That's easy enough to say, yep, yeah, I'm fine to disclaim that, move on. And, and then you move through the process. Could be something more complicated of, hey, you know, we've looked at the repository and there's, there's tons of, you know, there's these three other marks that seem similar to yours. We think there's going to be a likelihood of confusion. Convince me that I'm wrong. And, and that, can, that can be difficult to overcome. So, you know, I, at, at best nine months, a year, you know, kind of however you want to frame it, but, but give yourself some wiggle room in terms of it could be longer depending upon the circumstance. And is, is, um, is someone like you, uh, that's qualified to kind of know how to do a little bit of that upfront research to say, you know, listen, this isn't going to probably make it through because of absolutely. Absolutely. So like as part of when I work with a client, I mean, step number one in terms of a trademark registration is, is what I call a brand clearance, right? Okay. So I'm number one, I'm looking at the mark just on its face to say, you know, I, it, based upon the products, like, I don't know that this really functions the way that a trademark should. I've got concerns. Mm-hmm. I'm also running, I've, I subscribed to, to a tool that allows me to, to run a comprehensive clearance search so that I can see what the landscape looks like with regards to that mark. Not just the exact match of the mark, but also marks that are linguistically similar. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, that examining attorney, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of that examining attorney yeah. and the people outside of the process who might want to oppose to figure out why might this get blocked? You know, how is this going to go through smoothly? Is it, are we going to have some difficulties? And the cool thing about that process is, is I look at the landscape of a mark and I, you know, I can see, okay, well, maybe if we more narrowly tailor the description of the products that we're selling, mm-hmm. that's going to let this get through a little, a little easier, as opposed to just, you know, if we sell, uh, you know, blankets, maybe that's going to get blocked. But if we say therapeutic weighted blankets for sensory purposes or something like that, just sure. being more narrowly tailored, I'm going to be able to, to, to get that application through. So there's a lot of value that comes in that clearance phase of things. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And I've used actually LegalZoom years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it does give you all of this, all of the things that you need to do, but it, you have to do them. Like that's the yes. thing, right? Yes. And you don't I, really have any counsel there to kind of guide you uh, that can say, I mean, there's probably a service now that allows you to kind of talk to an attorney, but there wasn't at the time. And I had to file, and I was in New York, doing a trademark. So we had to do the whole newspaper thing and oh, yeah. it was a pain in the butt, you know, but, um, 
we ended up doing it. And uh, a little story of mine, which you might not know, um, mm-hmm. I had a business, still do, um, but we, um, when I started in the, uh, I was, you know, we were photographers, but then we went into mm-hmm. the online yeah. photography teaching that. And um, we had a, um, a name that I came up with. The GoDaddy name was available, so it must be okay. And so yeah. I went and bought yeah. it, started building um, this, this brand, which was doing really well a year in. And then I got, uh, I got a a notice from the owner that said, Mm -hmm. you're violating a trademark and I need you to remove this. And so then I panicked. I mean, it was the worst day of my life. Honestly, it was like crazy. I was just like, so depressed because I built all these assets and I have all this traffic coming to my site now. And I'm going to have to basically legally like, you know, you know, you know, go into court or, you know, like pay money to, to basically fix this. And so luckily I was able to reach out to the owner. We worked it out and she gave me actually a year to still take that, that traffic from that domain and redirect it to mine. But after a year I had to have everything over, but it was a pain in the butt. But if I would have known that from day one, I wouldn't have went through that. Exactly. And that's, and that's the education piece of things. I mean, you just, you know, and a lot of people, Scott, you're not alone. Like if you go to GoDaddy or or Google domains or whatever it is, right. Whatever your registrar is and Oh, the domains available. It must be fine. Like, I had, a, I had a client that did a very similar thing. You know, she, she decided she woke up one morning and she wanted to rebrand her business. And, you know, she had a brick and mortar store here in here in Louisville, uh, you know, but I mean, she went all in and it was great branding and she was, I mean, the, you know, she's signage everywhere and advertisements everywhere. And I was so proud of her. And, um, you know, she, she was ready to launch and all of a sudden, you know, one night I get an email, please help me. I got this nasty email from somebody in another state with a similar domain name and they sell the same exact things. And they're saying, I have to stop. Like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Right. And like, here she is, like she has no money left because she's gone all in on the advertising and the new inventory and the, the brick and mortar space. And I mean, you know, like you, it was the worst day of her life. Now the good thing is we, there's a fix, right? You can, you can always get things sorted. Uh, and we were able to, we were able to help her and get her where, where she needed to be. And she's got her brick and mortar now and she's selling all sorts of great products, which is, which is awesome. Um, but it's, it, it just, again, people don't know what they don't know. Right. And they just choose a name because it's available on GoDaddy or it's, you know, they woke up and they thought, no one, this is the most made up name ever. It's, it's meaningful to me. It's wonderful. Surely no one else will take it. Well, and there's nothing new under the sun. And if you had that idea, it could be that somebody else had that idea as well. And, and it's best to check that before you invest time, money and effort into it. Yeah, no, it, it was a big learning lesson for me and yeah, a scary yeah. one. But uh, I definitely know moving forward, I'm always, I'm always looking at that. I'm even doing a, 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 you know, a little search, you know, you can do your own free searches. But then if I'm really serious, then I would move forward um, with an attorney like yourself. No, absolutely. And I'll even give folks that are listening a little bit of, of a tip because oftentimes, you know, as I'm working with folks that are bootstrapped and they're like, you know, I don't know, you know, can I afford an attorney? Should I make that investment? What if I don't have a name? Yeah. If nothing else, like, if you, and the cool thing about trademarks is you know, that the USPTO.gov website is freely available. It is very user-friendly. Uh, they, they've got a lot of educational material out there where you can go and kind of see how to do searches, right? Mm. So if you're in the, in the process of kind of spitballing and brainstorming a name, uh, I, do, I, I suggest doing a couple of things before you even feel like you need to engage an attorney to do a clearance search, right? Mm-hmm. Number one search Amazon, right? Like if you've got a brand name, plug it into Amazon and see what pulls up. If that's where you're going to be selling, best to see what, you know, if there's anybody else that, that has a similar brain, brand name, do a basic Google search. Does anything pull up? You know, are companies using that name to sell similar products? If so, 
probably not a good idea. Checking the domain name. You know, is the domain name available? That's going to tell you a lot. And then finally, going to USPTO.gov using their TESS system. It's the Trademark Electronic Search System. Plugging in the name and variations of the name just to see what pulls. Mm-hmm. If you do that, that should at least give you some degree of, of comfort that, well, this, this looks like it's probably available and would probably work. But again, huge disclaimer, kind of circling back to the, to the, to the start of our podcast. Yeah. Before you really invest in it, make sure that, that you have someone run a formal clearance search just to get the formal go ahead. Because the worst thing that you can do is, you know, get, you know, 12 months, you know, two years, three years down the line, and all of a sudden you're either blocked from, you, you know, registering the mark yeah. or you, 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 you find out later that, oh, I missed something in my Google search, right? I, I, you know, I didn't use the trademark electronic search system the way it should have done, been done. Like, you know, just invest a little bit of money in that diligence. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, moving on. That was a, a deep topic, but I think it's worth sharing because it's important. Uh, it so is. let's let's move on. So more of bulletproofing? Are we doing more bulletproofing at this point? No, we're weaponizing at this point. Oh, so okay. going back to this notion of I'm shaking you, I'm smacking you in the head saying business is war, right? right? So we need to weaponize our works. One of the most misunderstood aspects of private label selling has to do with uh, product photos, sales copy, packaging design. All of those assets are copyrightable works. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that we own those and we need to make sure that we register the copyrights in those, Okay. Big, big myth in business is just because you've paid for something, you own it. It mm. feels like that's how it should work. Sure. But when you hire a photographer, right, you pay them money, they send you those JPEGs, those PDFs, those AIs, those whatever files that are coming back. Yep. Unless you have a specific agreement in place, you, you own the JPEGs, you own the PDFs, you own the AI files. You do not own the copyright to the underlying work. Okay. So okay. if you want to shore up your business, Make sure that as you're going out, you're hiring, hiring freelancers, that you have what's called a work for hire agreement. It could be a copyright assignment agreement in place, but make sure that the copyright in those assets, your product photos, your packaging designs, if you're having someone write your listing, make sure that you're getting full rights to those works that are going to be delivered. Because I'm telling you, and there's a lot of focus on brands right now and trademarks and brand registry. And there's also a really big problem with people just copying and swiping product photos. Mm. I myself have had my own product photos that have been just swiped by suppliers on Alibaba and put on their microsite to say, hey, world, I can make this for you. Okay, with a registered copyright, it is a very effective method. There's a very easy way to make that stop. The cool thing about technology, and I, you know, I talked earlier about my story and Napster and, you know, it's not fair that you can't share well, one of the great things that came out of all of those discussions around, you know, the internet and what it was going to be and, and what it was going to become was Congress enacted something called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So basically you had, you know, large, you know, ISPs at that time, but, you know, platforms like Amazon go to Congress and say, listen, the internet is going to be this amazing thing, but under copyright laws it, as it exists, if we're hosting infringing content, we're on the hook for that. And that's not fair. Mm. Like, you know, we're not going to be willing to participate in this amazing development of the internet if it were just opening ourselves up to liability. And so Congress turned around and said, you know what, that's fair. Let's do something called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And you know what? Amazons and Ebays and Alibabas and other ISPs of the world, like if you have a process by which someone can complain and say, hey, 
that copyrighted photo shouldn't, you know, that's my copyrighted photo. You need to take it down, Amazon. If Amazon has a process for taking in complaints and acts on those complaints, then, you know, we're going to absolve you, Amazon, from copyright infringement. We're going to absolve you, eBay, from copyright infringement. But you have to have a process so that the people who ultimately have issues, the person whose you know, rights are being infringed and the person who's being accused mm-hmm. can kind of handle that dispute on their own. So to me, you know, and this is a big miss for a lot of private label sellers, they just don't invest in copyright registrations. You really should be um, because as people are, again, stealing product photos, copying your package design, you know, maybe stealing chunks of your listing, copyright's a really effective mechanism for having Amazon handle all of that. Um, and it's just, it's just ignored. And I think it's frankly, because people just don't know what they don't know. Mm. You know, they don't know that they're protectable assets, but got to register the copyright in those. We've got to weaponize those works, make sure we own it, make sure it's registered. And so what that really does for us, uh, is, is allow us to show proof if mm-hmm. there's an issue. And then if someone is taking it, then we can, I don't want to say easily, but I guess, make it a little bit easier uh, to uh, to be able to have Amazon um, take action on that. And that's, of Absolutely. course, like if we're brand registered, we have that one thing, but these other things are like other parts of the puzzle that if we put them mm-hmm. in there, it just, it shows that we've done the work to make sure that we're protecting our assets. Absolutely. And, and in terms of like copyright, it also is a really cost effective way of adding intellectual property assets to your business. Mm-hmm. So trademark registrations, you know, a filing fee alone, you're looking at about $275, mm-hmm. right? With a copyright registration, you're looking at about 50, right? Wow. So you can take a bundle of product photos to say, Hey, these are the weighted blanket product photos from such and such brand, mm-hmm. 50 bucks. You got a copy registra- copyright registration. You've got a nice certificate, and, you know, as I work with clients, I think, okay, you know, many, many folks are, are building legacies for their families. Others are, you know, true entrepreneurs and they're just, let's make as much money as we can and then exit and go off and do something else. Mm-hmm. Both, both are totally fine, but you're going to exit at some point, whether it's you, whether it's your kids, you want to make sure that as they sit to that, at that table, having those discussions with the person who wants to buy their business they have just a huge portfolio of assets to slide over to say, Hey, this is what you're buying. Not only are you buying these SKUs with these great sales numbers, but you're buying these trademarks that are registered internationally. We've got all our copyrights locked down. Oh, by the way, you know, we've got, you know, we haven't had any complaints in the last, however, I mean, you've basically, you've got legitimate good assets that that are sellable that are going to drive that price up. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's where your head is and you're thinking about, okay, well, how can I add cost effectively some assets to my business? Copyright's a great way to go. Okay, cool. All right. So what are we wrapping up with? What else have we missed? What else do we need to let people know? Well, so if you've done steps one, two, and three, right? So we protected our personal assets. We bulletproofed our brand. We've weaponized our works. Now we're safeguarding our sales, right? So we've got it. We've just got to always be prepared that as issues bubble up, we have to know how to respond, right? Mm -hmm. So many people with private label selling, they think, okay, I got my LLC, got my trademark, got my copyrights, set it and forget it. I'm good. We always have to actively be monitoring what's going on with our business, right? So when I work with clients and think about safeguarding our sales, number one is being prepared for you know, cease and desist letters. Like what happens if I get a cease and desist letter? What should I do with mm-hmm. that? So let's talk about cease and desist letters just for a minute. If you get a cease and desist letter, 
take it for what it is. It is a letter. It is not something to be ignored, Mm -hmm. but it is also not a formal legal opinion. Okay. So when you get a cease and desist letter, read it, try to understand it. What's the issue and have somebody on your team that you can go present it to, to say, Hey, is this, is this a thing I should be worried about? Should I not? Mm -hmm. Um, same thing with Amazon complaints. You know, maybe someone complains, Hey, you know, you're, uh, using copyrighted photos, you know, what should, you know, the listing's been suspended. As you think about if you encounter issues with Amazon, you've got to be prepared. That's not something that you go haphazardly into. You've got to make sure that you have, you understand what it means when a listing is suspended and how to formally respond. Again, having somebody on your team uh, to, to be able to handle that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then more, I think in a broader context, when you think about your brand and you think about your works, we always have to go in and make sure that everything's up to date. Like when I think about, you know, products um, you know, that are, that are in my private label, you know, stable of products, right? I have those that are core to my business. I have those that, you know, what didn't do exactly what I thought it was going to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of those and reinvest in something else. And then I have those, those products that are kind of in between tweeners is what I call them. Right. Yep. Products that are core to my business. I'm always making sure that they're protected. I'm regularly going in and making sure that the trademark filings that I have are up to date, that they are associated with those specific products that are core. And if they're not, I'm taking action on it. Gotcha. Well, for those products that can't wait to kind of liquidate and reinvest in something else, I'm just letting those go. And then tweeners, those products that, you know what, they sell well enough. They make a little bit of money. They don't hurt me, but they don't really help me. I mean, you know, if they went away, it wouldn't be the end of the world. As I have additional monies in my budget, I'm either registering copyrights in those or I'm, I'm registering trademarks because again, I kind of use those tweener products, not necessarily like, you know, as, as a sword you know, I'm not, I'm not fighting people off from, from selling my tweener products, but those are the ones that I'm, I'm building uh, long-term value in my business by having assets kind of stacked up and protected. So if I, if I had to leave, you know, folks with one kind of, thought or, or mindset shift around, well, how do I safeguard my sales? It's this notion of do not set it and forget it. You know, just, just like markets are always evolving and changing your businesses as well. And so you just regularly need to go in and say, okay, you know, am I, are my core products, are they protected? Are they locked down? My copyrightable works, how am I feeling about that? Are those taken care of? Okay, good. Uh, everything's sorted. Everything's good. I've got a plan of action. I'm, I'm ready to go. I can rock on and, and sell and do the fun stuff. All the legal stuff's taken care of. Yeah, no, that's, this has been great. I mean, we went into a lot of different areas and I love it how you have like four steps and each step obviously has some some details that need to be sure. addressed. But there are things I think, we're not setting and forgetting, but there are some things in place like the preparation and stuff. That stuff mm-hmm. is being being put in place, but then you have to, like you said, monitor it, but really just make sure that, everything is still in place and nothing needs to be addressed or you, maybe yeah. your trademark is going to expire or whatever. Like you, you need to just keep up on that stuff. But this has been really, really good. And like you said, and, and you lived up to your word, it's very educational and you can tell that you, you, uh, you've been down this road a few times and you learn more as you deal with sellers, I'm sure. Absolutely. So, uh, this is, uh, this has been great. Um, now I know you're going to be at brand accelerator live. So if, I will. if, if people are listening to this rate now, uh, well, and it's before September 19th, well, uh, you are going to be able to hang out with us and probably go up and ask Robert a question if you want, uh, or someone on his team. And, uh, I know Robert that, uh, you're always willing to chat with people because we talked 
a little bit off air, but then on air, I mean, relationships are everything and, uh, you know, you just want to help people. And that's why I'm really happy that you're going to be there as one of our sponsors slash partners, um, in this event. So any last little bits of, uh, of tips, uh, anything, and also where can people reach out to you, get information, ask questions, uh, let us know. Absolutely. So super excited about being at the event and happy to answer any questions that folks have. You know, one of the the reasons that we signed up for it was, you know, having an event where people were committed to growing and building a brand and learning how to do that from the ground up and, and, you know, do things, you know, smartly. Uh, I'm all about that. So it was an easy decision to, to partner with you and, and to be at the event. So happy to answer any questions that folks have while we're there. Um, in terms of, of additional guidance going forward, you can find me at privatelabelprotection.com. So I have an entire site. My practice is built around, again, you know, it's education and service. And so mm-hmm. I have a masterclass. And if you go to privatelabelprotection.com, you can download. We talk about the four pillars and kind of the four steps you can get more information on what each one might mean for your business. And again, you know, my hope and, and my prayer is that, you know, it helps you as, you as you grow and scale your business and just, you know, it shines a light on the things that maybe you didn't know that you didn't know and you're a little bit wiser for the wear. So happy to have you head on over to privatelabelprotection.com. Check out that masterclass. We've got all sorts of resources for sellers over there. Uh, so check that out. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're not attending the event, you can go there. Even if you are attending, you can go there. But if you want to uh, to be part of the event, depending if there's still tickets, I know we have a handful left at the time of this recording. So baltickets.com or after the fact, uh, we will have virtual passes available, um, which will be only available uh, for a short while after the event. But anyway, Thank you so much, Robert. This has been awesome. I am super excited. Now, even just talking to you today, I'm even more excited that you're going to be at this event because I know the people there are going to be able to get a lot of value from just being able to talk with you and and really tell them their personal uh, you know, situation, because I think everyone is a little bit different and to just even give them just a little bit of like, yeah, you're heading in the right direction or no, you might want to consider this. I think that is, uh, that is key in growing. So again, I just want to say thank you so much, Robert, for taking time out of your, out of your day and your busy life with those kids and, and getting them <laughs> off of school. But, uh, I really look forward to seeing you in Fort Worth, Texas, man. I look forward to seeing you as well. Thank you so much for the time and thanks for everybody for listening. All right. Well, that one went a little bit longer, but uh, there was a lot of questions that I had. And, you know, the thing is, when I'm doing these interviews, I'm also asking for my my own self. I want to know these things. And sometimes you find someone that does an interview and they'll just ask the standard questions and they'll follow a certain protocol. I like to just kind of go in as if I'm having that conversation. And obviously I know there's questions out there from other people that they're going to want to know. So I hope you're okay with me going a little bit deeper and, uh, and exploring some of these other areas, because I think it's important to do that. So again, I would definitely, definitely go back and probably listen to this one again. I would grab the show notes, theamazingseller.com forward slash 720. This is important stuff. And then also, if you are attending Brand Accelerator Live, I encourage you to go up to Robert, let him know that you heard this episode, but then also ask him a question. Like he's there to answer questions. He's there to let you know what he's learned through helping hundreds of businesses already. And he continues to. Now, like he said, there's not a one size fits all, but there is some things that you can do up front to make sure that uh, you are putting as much protection up 
in your business as you can. So again, I encourage you to go up and talk to him and, uh, and, and really, you know, just see what he thinks about how you're currently set up. Maybe, maybe even something like that. But again, I encourage you to do that. Now, if you're not attending brand accelerator live, you can still head over to privatelabelprotection.com. He's got some free resources over for you, over there for you as well. And also you can reach out and ask him, uh, there anything that you want. And if he can help you, he will. And obviously you guys know he has a law firm. So if you did hire him, well, then you're going to be hiring for a certain service, whether it's trademark, copyright, whatever. Um, but you can get more information there as well. PrivateLabelProtection.com. And I definitely think that if you have any issues or if you have any questions, reach out and talk to Robert. All right, guys. So Brand Accelerator Live, we are super, super close. And I am so excited. If you're listening to this before the 10th, or I'm sorry, the 6th, uh, I think that is the cutoff, the 6th of September, well, then you might want to head over to baltickets.com, see if there's any tickets available. If there are, you might want to grab one because I can't I can't imagine uh, that we will have many left at all, if at all. Uh, and then also, we're going to have virtual tickets available in the future. So if you're listening to this after the fact, go there if you wanted to... Uh, to listen in and actually watch all of the sessions that are being done at Brand Accelerator Live. So, baltickets.com. All right, guys, so that's it. That's gonna wrap it up. As always, remember, I'm here for you, I believe in you, and I am rooting for you. But you have to, you have to, come on, say it with me, say it loud, say it proud, take action. Have an awesome, amazing day. I'll see you right back here on the next episode.